Let's spread a song so you can sing along with my special guest star too. For two, you like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone welcome back to another episode of life's but a song a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals i'm your host john and with me are two very special guests they were both on the sing street episode and they've been featured heavily on this podcast it's shady and derek speedy everyone i'm one of those people you just said so we're here to talk about Hearts Beat Loud, which, oh, fuck, did it come, did it come out? 2016. 2016, are we no, sure 18. about that? 18. Oh, shit, 2018. 18. Yeah. Are, we, are, we are we 100% sure right, about start that? Start it over, start it over, let's redo it. Hey, welcome to But A Song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it came out in 2018. It is, the screenplay is written by Brett Haley and Mark Bosch? Yeah, sure. Yes! Uh, music and lyrics. As in the pair. Or is that Bosch? Ba- Bosch. B-A-S-C-H. I'm assuming it's Bosch. But which is the pair? Like a, like a Bosch? Is it a Bosch pair? Bosch? Do you, anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't know, but you know what? If you, I'm looking the it up. listener, you knows, you can message me <laughs> later. Uh, at, I just email buy, me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. Uh, I just buy pears from the farmer's market. I don't know names. Oh, boy, guys. It's a Bosque pear. <laughs> guys, we're spiraling already. Oh, shit. It's going to be uh, a great episode. It's going to be great. Music and lyrics by Keegan DeWitt. Uh, directed by Brett Haley. And according to IMDb, a father and daughter from an unlikely songwriter nope wrong wrong already according to imdb (laughs) a father and daughter form an unlikely songwriting duo in the summer before she leaves for college there are five original songs in the movie Mm -hmm. and about 20 realized songs you know from different people um i did not include wait did i include the tony collette one in that one I don't remember. What is she saying? Nope. To, okay, so not she, it's not an original song, but she sings it in the movie and yeah, it's it's yeah, it, it's karaoke. It's karaoke. Gotta love a karaoke moment. You gotta. Yeah, I always whenever I want to go do karaoke, I always go deep into Brooklyn. I always go red hook karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> well that's I mean, this is is this in Brooklyn? I thought yeah. it was red, red Hook Brooklyn, yeah. Yeah. Does it, does it need to be set there? Like, do you feel like it could be set anywhere? This story? It, it doesn't need to be set necessarily in New York City, but whatever city it's in, it needs to be in a place similar to Brooklyn. Yeah, and I think the idea that it's also really? like specifically Red Hook in Brooklyn, which is like mm-hmm. very much like a place where like, I don't know, it's just like you literally like are seeing like, you know, Manhattan over there. And even as part of Brooklyn, it's not necessarily the most like, happen in spot like people who work in like downtown manhattan don't live in red hook it's not williamsburg honestly like for a long time i thought red hook was like long island because of just like the people i knew who grew up there i thought it was like the same as like people who grew up on long island which is like like yeah you know i grew up around the city but it's not it's really i thought red hook was in jersey and i was about to shit on jersey for an hour 
Hey. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> I'm currently recording from my basement in New Jersey. How I am you, currently recording from my parents' house in Jersey, but it's South Jersey, so it's like different. It's like that's basically PU. I mean PA. <laughs> oh, oh no, oh no! So you both like I don't remember who exactly pitched this to me, but you both were very excited about this. Why is that? <laughs> I mean, I like the movie. I just want to know why you guys were very excited. First things first, I, I do think because we pitched this while we were doing the Sing Street episode, and this movie kind of makes a very good natural double feature with Sing Street. Mm. So I think like it was just kind of on our mind. But for me personally, this was the kind of movie that I saw it at the exact right moment in my life, which is why I can tell you right now what year it came out or what month it came out. I think if I saw this at any other point in my life, I would have been like, oh, what a cute, fun movie. I might recommend that to my parents and then kind of forget about it. But I saw this at the beginning of my last summer at the summer camp that we worked at. And I knew it was going to be my last summer. So it was like a big transitional moment for me. And that's what this movie is about, really. There were so many things, and especially the last original song we hear, Everything Must Go. It, it hit me exactly the way I needed something to hit me at that time. So like, because of that, this movie is tied to a very specific moment in my life. And I love it because of that. Wow. It's so funny because it, I mean, originally I was, I was just thinking that they were um, similar to Sing Street because it came up during our Sing Street conversation that Sing Street had songs that had featured on like just random playlists that I had. And this movie also had a similar place in my spotify queue um but there were like several songs from this that would i would often play and like made it onto like you know some of my best of lists of like certain years and stuff like that but um no just hearing shady talk about this right now i mean to me it actually makes a lot of sense because we'll get into this more i'm sure but everything must go yeah it's like a very big song that appears in my uh my spotify playlists and thinking of 2018 that was the year I graduated college so such a big another huge transition point because to be honest I was I was watching it again last night and I still really enjoyed it but I had remembered it hitting me way harder the first time I watched it mm-hmm. and just hearing Shady kind of relate that when she first watched this I, I think I feel similarly that it hit me at the perfect point of transition and everyone in this movie is at a point of transition in their life. Yeah. They're at a fulcrum, if you will. A fulcrum? Ooh. There you go. Yeah, that's yeah. this movie is not about the big moments. It's about the, t- the space between the big moments, which is interesting. And that's part of why it feels really light, but also really heavy at the same time. And for me, when I watched it and knowing that that was going to be my last uh, summer working at a place that it's still my favorite place that I've ever worked and I was the one who made the choice to move on because Mm. I need I knew I needed to I knew it wasn't healthy to stay there forever and I knew I needed to grow past that but I was the one who had to make the choice to actually move past that and so Nick Offerman's storyline really just connected with me because that's what he's doing with the store he doesn't hate the store. He doesn't resent it, but he knows he needs to stop doing it because it's not healthy for him to keep doing it at this point in his life. 
he needs to move on and find a new passion instead. And I thought that was interesting because I'd never really experienced that before. I left jobs before that I didn't really love so much. And then of course, you know, I love my experiences at school and everything, but graduation is a thing that you always expect is going to happen anyway. It's not something that you, you yourself have to be the one who chooses when it happens. I, I don't know that I would have seen or heard anything else at this time that I kind of needed to, to, to help remind me that it was okay to let go of something I loved like that. Oh, Shady, I'm going to cry. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I just want to give you a big hug right now. Aww. And this will be fun too, because it sounds like Shady's following Nick Offerman's path and I maybe am following um, Kiersey Clemens. Clemens' path. Yeah. yeah a little bit more. At least Collette? You are- I'm not against it. Yeah, you're Tony Collette and Ted Danson and Blythe Banner. Oh, I get to be crazy? <laughs> yeah. Yes. You don't uh, get I'm to all... be, you just are. I'm the, ooh. <laughs> I don't know whether that's a compliment or not, but I'm going to take it as one. You, uh, sh- you should. So much like last episode, uh, I have not watched this movie prior to this as like an assignment. So, um, I know this is my first time watching it. I did like it though, though there was parts where I was just like, okay, what's up Sam's ass right now? Like, (laughs) why is she being such a complete bitch to her dad? But then there are other points where I was like, is Nick Offerman a good dad? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think there's, I had a little trouble. I think this time, the second time around with some of the writing and some of the directorial moments that some of it felt forced and it was like oh this is like the teenage daughter who like doesn't like who they they don't know how to communicate yeah and it's like the class well she's rebellious but her dad's already rebellious so she's rebellious by being straight laced which is like its own sort of cliche at this point I really just wanted her to say that I'm not mom or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what was needed and not said. Like, she is... Not in a good way, necessarily. (laughs) No, because, like, she's being, uh, I want to say condescending. Is that the right word that I want to use to describe her? Or she's, there are definitely parts where she's condescending. She's condescending. She's, like, very negative. Like, she... I guess we'll call it rebelling against her dad, but you never understand like why. Like, yeah, she's moving away to go to college and everything and she doesn't want to put her life on hold for whatever, but I just needed her to say, I'm not mom, done. (laughs) Just that one line. And that like fills this void of like, well, okay, so I understand why you're lashing out this way, but it's never said. So I'm just like, you're such a, but I don't think it needs to be said because you still picked up on it. You I picked, still picked yeah. up on it. I feel like, but I feel like this is a movie where it could have been said. <laughs> no, I don't agree necessarily because that's kind of one of the things I like about this movie is that these characters are constantly talking past each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, the audience, can still grasp onto what the actual conflict is. But at the and same, I don't think I don't think you need to just say everything. Everything's not like a Disney <laughs> movie where you just need to state the thesis for the audience. Well, that's like, the thing, like, though. Like, you, I you can trust your audience to be smart enough to put the pieces together. That's the thing, though. I inferred it, though. Like, I don't know if that's actually the reason. Well, no. It if you inferred it, then that's the reason. But like, 
The, because uh, you're because you're a smart audience member. This well, is a movie for. This is not like a kids movie. I don't want to put words in Sam's mouth if I'm not, if I'm not doing that. So or a character's mouth. But like the whole thing with the bicycling, that's what that is. She's not actually saying it, but there's no reason for her and her dad to be so weird about the cycling, except that that's how her mother died. Literally just picked up on that right the second. <laughs> 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 I, so, <laughs> so my thing was more that I thought that was a very cheesy line that sounded like it would have been written in this movie. Because again, I, I do I'm have not... some problem with this yeah, dialogue in this. A lot of it's very cliche storm. I can't uh, believe and... I didn't pick up on the bicycle. <laughs> Oopsies. <laughs> pretend, just go with it. Just go with it. I mean, no. I totally got it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh shit. All over my head i mm, i i am so upset with myself right now but even without that you still got the that that she she's struggling to communicate to her father that she's not the same person her mother was right but like she's saying other words besides that and because, so i'm like well is it because she's moving away well because John, people don't say exactly what's in their head. That's what makes it good dialogue. I don't know about you guys, but I have no filter. So I just say everything that comes out that it just- But like, but people, okay, let me change. People don't know how to reflect in a way where they can just say what their issue is that plainly. Oh, human. Which is why we have music. (laughs) Right. So now the big question, because you both kind of were like, maybe not really a musical, but whatever. Would you classify this as a musical? Going by your definition, no, no, we're like, not, okay. No, no, you, because that's... Would I mean, you classify it as a musical? No. Show your work, though. No. Um, I'm going to say no. Uh, I think that music is the medium that they chose, and there's a lot of good reasons why it, 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 music is the best medium that they could have chosen for this story. But they could have picked basically anything for this father and daughter to bond over and collaborate on throughout this final summer together um it didn't need to be music it could have been photography it could have been painting it could have been yeah yeah it could have been anything really um music is a great choice because it's very cinematic agreed and I, i do think that there's something to be said about the fact that you know he owns a record store because i do think that there's something about like even from like 2010 on of just like, you know, CD stores giving way to like record stores are still kind of cool. But then it's also like, like I love a good record store, but Mm -hmm. if I were ever to run one, like, is that a financially sound investment to run a record store? Not one that's that's that big. I mean, if it was smaller, maybe. Right. So I thought it was an interesting point of focus to have there, especially, you know, thinking of like Brooklyn as well, but like that's definitely a place where a record store could have lasted 17 years um, <laughs> into, into the two, into 2018. Yeah. Um, and I think even looking back, hearkening back to Sing Street, I felt that the music in Sing Street, because I would still classify that as a movie with music, but I would say it's oh. closer to a musical in the sense that I felt that the music was perfectly placed and furthered plot. Whereas I yeah. feel a lot of the time the music in this movie was a comment on plot. Yes. AKA Sing Street 
was West Side Story and Hearts Beat Loud is Spring Awakening. <laughs> where it's always a comment on things that have just happened. Okay. Okay. Um, I stand it, by that. Yeah. I, uh, I no, no. I'm, I'm following you. I'm, I'm just, I'm following from a little bit of a distance. Um, West Side Story is not, this West Side Story was just the first one because I have a poster of it right here in my, my room. <laughs> not SpongeBob but, SquarePants? No, that one's uh, in storage for my apartment. But the thing that I will say is, so I'm curious what you guys thought about the fact that we got to hear Hearts Beat Loud basically like two and a half times. I'm a sucker for like seeing mu- like them write the music and yeah, figure like out everything out. The process. Like Bohemian Rhapsody, that whole section when they're in the barn and working on Bohemian Rhapsody. I was Fuck I that movie. Blew my mind. Conversation. <laughs> Just, just that I'm moment. Saying, I'm staying silent, John. Just that, just that, seg- just that segment, though, because I was just like, "Oh, it's very, very interesting to see like how you right. write a song, right? Absolutely, absolutely. You build on you build on lyrics and things like that. So I really appreciate it, and I feel like the payoff of the concert. Do we want to call it a concert? Yeah, gig? It's a performance. Gig. The yeah. performance. The payoff of the performance at the end, like, was worth it for yeah. Hearts Beat Loud. Yeah, I also think, and they they outright state this in the movie, which is one of the pieces of dialogue that I'm not so crazy about. But I agree with what they're actually saying as far as songs can just be about a mood. The lyrics don't need to tell a story. And a lot of people have this idea that it needs to tell a story. Mm. But that is a piece that's just describing a fleeting emotion. And because of that, I think it's okay to bring it back as a recurring motif, sort of. I like that a lot. Yeah, in the same way, yeah, in the same way that, you know, you hear like a character's theme in a lot of these big blockbusters movies, blockbuster movies, that like maybe this is like the motif that we actually get to hear the character sing themselves. And that in different moments, it means something different from when she's writing it after she sees Rose, is her name, I believe? Yes. Yeah, so she's right, you know, there's a difference between her writing it and kind of messing around during the jam session with her dad, talking about, like, after having just met Rose, then going to actually record it, and then performing it as her dad is, you know, selling his shop, she's about to leave for college, about to say goodbye to Rose after this, you know, crazy summer with her. No, I think that's a really, really good point, Shady. And it means something to her dad, too, because he's the one who uploads it on Spotify and everything. And then he hears it in the cafe and like, but, but, but even <laughs> for scene. him, it's a good scene. But even like for him, it means something different than it does for uh, Kiersey Clemens, because he's always hearing it sort of as the audience, even when he's helping her write the song, he's just sort of riffing off of what she's already done on her own. Mm. So it's also interesting because it's kind of a motif for both of them, but it's a different motif. Like, or, or like it means something different. Shady, I don't know. I'm not going to lie. A lot of, uh, throughout this movie, I got a lot of like that thing you do vibes. So if Ooh. you want to do an episode comparing these two, I would love. Oh, John. Right, 
You're welcome, uh, everyone. I uh, found our next song uh, movie we're talking about. Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> no. I know you're talking about Deja Vu Pod, but I'm talking about <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. God. Jeez. Well, Dee Speed, you can come on our other podcast. Oh, <laughs> I love a... that movie. Yeah. To do that. Because, like, like, when he was in ooh, the coffee shop, is that that's what it was? Yes. When he was in the coffee shop and he heard the song, I got flashbacks <laughs> the of that thing you do. When he hears it and runs down, or no, Liv, somebody runs down the street. I can't remember if it was him or Liv Tyler. Somebody Liv is running Liv down Tyler. the Liv Tyler running down the street, just being like, "Oh my god, you're on the radio!" Like, <laughs> I got a lot of those vibes going on. Or wow, Dream wow. Girls when they have to turn around the car because they leave yes. the inception. Yeah, like you know those moments in other films where they're like, "Oh my god, I hear this on, I hear me on the radio." Ah. <laughs> But um, but then the barista is just like, cool. cool. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, like, sorry, oh, sorry. Oh, great. I don't know this. Cool. But to kind of go back to what Derek was talking about, where it's so weird saying your name, D Speeds was talking about. <laughs> it's really, I, I think it's really fascinating the sort of commentary that this movie is making, where Nick Offerman's character works in a record store. And then he uploads the song onto Spotify. So like you have the span of music, enjoyment, listening, whatever, in the course of like 10 seconds or less. Because like, you know, records were the way of to listen to music. And then he uploads, like he doesn't make a record. He doesn't make a CD. He puts it on, he puts Hearts Beat Loud on Spotify, which is how nowadays people listen a lot of people listen to music and hopefully this podcast (laughs) but i also like the idea for him too is that like there is there is definitely something about like the generational divide too because even here blythe danner talk about like the way i was able to get to sing at nightclubs is because i went nightclub to nightclub Mm -hmm. nightclub showing my voice yeah and you know you you then you kind of never really hear about nick offerman and his wife's journey of trying to make music you but just like see the clearly, posters, right? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. see the posters, and you see that he tried, and he, you know, she mentions that he had a record deal, and there is an easier way to get your music out now, and so, but like, but I love the fact that he has to look up how do you put your song on Spotify. <laughs> like, I think that's very important yeah. because yeah. I think he gets this, he gets this itch of like, maybe it's easier now. Maybe my time wasn't when I was in my twenties. Maybe yeah. it's. Maybe it's now. And, you know, he goes, maybe it wasn't the right time because we didn't have the right technology or the right way to share our stuff. So I, I don't know. I found that, I found that a very interesting yeah. Yeah, theme throughout that, it. Like, yeah, he thought the window had shut 17 years ago and it turned out that he just found a way to blow it back open. So presumably they have uh, jam session days since I guess the mom passed away. Jam, 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 jam. <laughs> so like, why, this is the first time that they actually like completed a song or is yeah. this the first time that like he felt like it was a but, good enough song to, it's a full yeah. song, not just well, a. That, that's like the thing that, one of the things that kind of bothered me watching it again, I was like, so they, she's never like played around with lyrics that she just wrote before. Cause like, she just, she didn't even write these thinking they were going to be a real song. She just wrote them because 
it was in her head and she had to get it out on paper cool I get that but like that had never happened to her before or she had never played around putting it to music before or showing it to her dad before like that that didn't that kind of I, I didn't really understand that because well, like you get the impression that this is the first time that that's like even been a possibility for them and not simply the first time where they were like oh well this, this could good. be something yeah well so there's a there's a little bit of parallel between her and her dad at that point because then he shows her his old book with lyrics and poetry and things like that so maybe right. maybe she has but like again we have to infer <laughs> but no it's I don't think but there's nothing to infer from that's the difference between that and the the mom thing is that there's no let me make my points (laughs) no but I think but I I agree with you in this case though okay great yes (laughs) like to your point I think there is something that like and this is where I kind of like I know it's not necessarily what this podcast is focusing on but like talking about like kind of the quality of movie of like I think that there is something needed for context to it like establishing the world first before watching the world change and that like the reality of, of of the world that we're in and so seeing like a jam sesh where like she's not super into it or not fully participating and just doing it for her dad or like or they're just jamming and like nothing's coming out of it to then see this next one where it's like yeah. oh th- what what made this session different right to right create this song and you know even it, it that could have been the opening scene is one where they have a jam sesh and there's no tension between them they're getting along just fine and for whatever reason this this next one because they have a like they have a small argument right before that jam sesh which is why he insists that they do it and it could be that maybe that tension between them is what like led to this or something but like you said we don't have an established like a uh, dynamic between them before that point. So we can't even make that assumption. Yeah. It would have been great if maybe there was like a montage like over the years of this, their jam sessions. That's like the prologue or something. Just so this way we can understand like why this one time. I feel like this one jam session that they do in the movie, like at the beginning, is them starting and finishing a song. Like I, mm-hmm. I could, I mean, pulling strings, I'm pulling, pulling shit out of my ass right now where it's like, I, I can't say that jam sessions are a thing I ever did with my parents. So like, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know how they normally work. Well, so by definition, jam sessions are just like, you're playing, you know? Yeah. You're, yeah. You're just, you're fucking around. And right. Seeing... You may have a melody in your head that right. you have to like get out and then let's say you play guitar and I'm like on drums and I'm like, ooh, they can like do some cymbals and maybe a snare or something. And D speeds is on bass. And he's like, I got this walking bass line I can do. Like that's- Is it upright bass? No, uh, guitar. No, I, I got a, I got a, I got a double guitar. So I got a 12 <laughs> string and then I got a bass. Actually triple guitar. It's a 12 string, a six string and a bass. And then, you know- I'm on tambourine. And then- uh, <laughs> And then I, we lay down the percussion track and then I pull out the keytar. Ooh. Mm, no, the, yeah. the melodica. Oh, both, both at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and I'm that, on triangle. But like, that's how usually jam sessions are. So I feel like this time we're getting them, like, we're, they have a full song, you know, with lyrics and, you know, they build, they build it up and everything. And so I just wish, though, 
to both of your points that like maybe we had something before to understand like mm-hmm. why hearts the hearts beat loud song is more important than like anything they've done before yeah because it's even i mean this is pretty much their first interaction in the movie is when she's trying to do her homework um and he's you know sort of ripping her for that and it turns into this like very friction e friction filled uh interaction we don't get anything with them just like get what their normal dynamic is before that so is that a normal conversation for them but if mm-hmm. they do these regular jam sessions that can't be normal for them we need like a baseline for no pun intended <laughs> for what their relationship is before that moment they felt a little bit like the oh crap what's her name Saoirse Ronan and her mom in Lady Bird Lady Bird mm. Right, they did, but in Lori Lady Metcalf. Bird, yeah, Thank in you. Lady Bird, it's very clear that that's always been their dynamic. Yeah, they don't really that's get easy. along. But I'm, I'm the the scene that comes to mind is when they're in Lady Bird, when they're in the and I the prom dress I, shopping, the prom dress shopping, yes, yeah. and they <laughs> argue, and then all of a sudden, Lori Metcalf pulls out this one giraffe and dress, and Saoirse Ronan's like, "Ooh, that's so cute. Let me try it on." Like <laughs> that felt like Frank and Sam's relationship in this. Yeah. When they started talking about music. And I, I think it was it was clear that like music was the one thing they could agree on. And I think it was strange to see Sam from the beginning be like, oh, music's dumb. Yeah. Like music like but like like clearly she loves it. And I don't know, maybe that's smart. Maybe that's I don't know. But there was like, but there's clearly like and I think it co- becomes clear only at the end when they do the final performance to see how you know in sync they are together when they're actually performing and like as i said there was such a difference between hearing hearts beat loud when they're doing that performance at the end versus just recording it and just i i, I can't even say it it's like pretty ineffable just like how the, di- the difference mm-hmm. of how it felt again kind of going back to that mood the mood really came through that second time of just right it was, and, it was just something different and, and then, they were just in sync and communicating through this thing that yeah. they love together and then how he was more like a proud father when he was like you have to sing blink like right yeah. now yeah more Which, than like being a pushy band manager or bandmate or whatever he's being right. like no really just no this is not this is not my music career advice this is my life advice for you right just yeah. do it now get it out there and then yeah they finished off with Everything Must Go, which was co-written by Jeremy Bullock. I have no idea who that is, but I just wanted to give a shout out to him. So- Great job, ah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because that's the one that is largely from his point of view. So that's interesting that that's one that brought in another songwriter. Yeah. Because the other two are from her point. Well, the two that we hear all the time are, or, or that we hear during that performance are from her point of view. So I'm a little like, off when it comes to music is ocean man a real song or is that something that he diddies in the sh- in the movie that is a song that i did not recognize apparently that's written by aaron freeman and michael fuck <laughs> melchiando melchiando uh dominic credited- de coco yeah they're they're credited as gene ween and dean ween oh ween okay yeah i've heard of ween before Ween, yes. Okay. 
so, so, so yes ocean man must be a real song by ween great because like you see nick offerman like one of the few times you hear nick offerman sing is mm-hmm. that one song where he's like playing the guitar and he's singing ocean man so i just didn't know if it was real or if it was written for the movie oh wait speaking of the music in this movie can we talk about the fact that they this movie introduced me to your best american girl by mitski i was just holy gonna say, shit i was why like, is that the perfect song for rose to show sam i don't know why right? but it's so perfect yeah i, I was gonna say i remember re-watching this i was like oh that's right this movie is how i learned about mitski and now i have to give up my like indie music snob cred mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i have because no cred I, for that <laughs> i know because i'm like making about- fun of him being like oh animal collective you have to listen to this album yeah. and i was but like I you like guys chose yeah yeah, it's like like as far as indie music goes, a lot of the references are like the most basic bitch references you can make. I'm shocked you didn't mention Bonnie Bear. Uh, I would have walked out the theater if he did. Honestly, <laughs> that's another thing I don't like. <laughs> this is all over my head. Like I'm looking at the list of yeah. of other artists' songs that are in this: Tweety, Mike Edge, Maurice Simon, and the Pie Man. And I'm just like, I don't know. Well, I was so acutely aware of like the set dressing in this movie, particularly within the record shop. Like when he's playing the song that he wrote, is that when he's playing Ocean Man or is he just singing? He's singing the song that he wrote about his wife. Uh... Yeah, when he's playing the song he wrote about his wife, like there's clearly like a Velvet Underground um, album there. Like one of the most famous album covers of all time. And it's it's just like, I was so acutely aware of like how they were trying to build nick offerman is this like indie kind of music snob right. at points what in brooklyn <laughs> what do you say no it, it is funny a record like... shop in brooklyn that is an indie stop no i know but it, but it was like but they chose like right they, they chose they, yeah. references that like people who like aren't aren't themselves super snobs would still be like oh i recognize that album or that i get what you're trying to do right um so it's like still grabbing a wide audience who have like a very passing knowledge of this scene without actually like representing the real real snobs in that scene i'm trying to remember what's the record that sam holds up that's when he's like everything is three dollars that thank you i was like oh i know tom waits by name (laughs) a little bit by sound But like the fact that it would, I guess that's another thing too, where like people know Tom Waits by at least name. Yeah. Maybe they don't know his sound or his music or anything, but they know the name and where she's like, you can't sell this for $3. It's like, oh, but like, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Dear, it's a record. Like, Uh, I mean, if it's a mint condition, original, uh, like uh, edition pressing and everything, it's, you can't sell that for $3. If it's still sealed in its original packaging, you could sell that on eBay for like twenty bucks. But but it's like an that, everything must go moment. Like he, can't... I know, but like it that it that pained me too. Like her saying that, I was like, oh no, you can't because if you end up not selling it, you can sell it on eBay for like a decent price. Well, it seems like he has a lot of records left, so maybe yeah, for their yeah, for their last day, he doesn't seem bothered about packing up the store right. at all. I, I get the feeling he's like, cool, I get to keep all these records for myself. 
Oh, in this beautiful apartment in Red Hook that has right. Can we talk about <laughs> we that apartment? No it's friends Doesn't all exist. over again. It's yeah. friends all over again. Rent With a control. studio, a music right, right. studio in it. It's been rent controlled since 1987. <laughs> I don't it's funny that. how all those apartments only exist in movies. I get I it. And TV. Like you watch Glee and you see their New York City apartment, and you're like, that doesn't exist anywhere <laughs> can we talk about new girl and their la apartment no no not when doesn't half exist. of them don't have jobs <laughs> but much like the last episode you guys were on if this one ends kind of openly you don't mm-hmm. really know where everyone goes so what do you what do you think happens to we're not a band and sam and frank i think we're not a band is probably gonna do holiday shows uh, and jam (laughs) sessions and and lots of summer shows and stuff like that. And I think they're going to enjoy a nice little career as like just a local band. I do think Sam's going to go on, finish medical school, become a doctor. And then she's not going to have time for music as a career, but I think she's going to still have it. Right. I think she's going to jam with her dad. She's going to have it as a hobby and it's going to be like a very healthy outlet for her for all the stuff that she doesn't know how to verbalize. So she's not going to be like Rivers Cuomo and just have a, <laughs> a, a degree from, ooh, did he go to Harvard? Did he go to Harvard? Or he did, did he go, he went to Harvard. Rivers but, Cuomo went to Harvard? Yeah. yeah. Didn't he? Or was it Yale? Don't you dare say that name in front of me. <laughs> Weezer? um no i I think yeah i I think it is definitely the kind of thing like and we're looking generationally like there's something so much about the fact that it's like you know blythe danner as um nick offerman's mom was a nightclub singer and then nick offerman and his wife who we really never get to know about like that she that like they were they were musicians and like he's clearly he's trying to impose that on her even though she does love it like but it's it's just not where she wants to go with her life I think it is the kind of thing where it kind of almost left me thinking that Sam's child, whether biological or even adopted, I think that there's something in the culture in her family that like almost that child would become like who would actually pursue music and succeed. No, but yeah, I think you're right. I think like holiday shows at Sonny's bar. Yeah. Um, I, I think they have both reached a point where they're like music can be a thing that you love. And it doesn't mean that you failed if you can't make it your career. Yeah. Like you haven't failed. You succeeded at doing something that you love and you do something else to supplement that. That's fine. Well, I think it's really interesting too that, you know, Nick Offerman's character, Frank talks about, you know, being the meat and cheese guy and he's doing that interview and then ends up working at the the bar that Ted Danson owns. Mm-hmm. God, I, love I think that. there's something, <laughs> I, I think there's something really interesting about that choice because and I wish they maybe had harped on this theme a little bit more because I might just be reading into this, but like there's something about like curating somebody's music, not music taste, maybe not curating it, but being like, check this album out, you're going to love it. Or yeah. like, this is something like, there's something about almost being that kind of guide and that mentor that feels somehow the way a bartender can feel sometimes or like a barber, you know, how like you can talk to them about anything that like, I think he almost like he wanted that through the music sphere and the record store was how that could work because you know his music wasn't selling in the way he wanted to connect to people and communicate to people so he took a step back to in his mind what was staying in that world with a record store but i think 
doing a being a bartender versus being the meat and cheese guy actually makes sense to me that like that is that kind of role that he wants to have in people's lives where he can communicate he can talk he can have a drink with you and he can share in in, in this shared experience i don't know <laughs> i may be elaborating too much no 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 i get it uh and i'm going to stay for the record rivers cuomo did attend harvard university cool <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've, I was looking it up this whole time. D Speeds, you sounded great though in my ears. <laughs> Thank you. I know. I was just I was just going because nobody for once in our life or once in our time recording a podcast, one of us wasn't talking over the other. Um, very rare. Enjoy very those rare. moments while they last. So before the end of the movie, when what's her name? Sam like has this little crisis where she's like, ooh, do I go? Do I stay? Did y'all just like scream at you and tell you what, however you watched it, just be like, go to college, just do it. <laughs> yeah, which is what if I, I love that it went to black actually. I love that we don't see that conversation. Yeah. We just see the result of it. What right. if I stay, cut to black five months later, six months later. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think I yelled at my laptop just being like, you do your dreams. Like, you're, <laughs> He's not wrong wanting to go to college to do something. No. Um, and, and, a, and a lot of her arguments were not wrong. It's just that she sounded like very whiny about it and very much like a brat about the music industry and everything. Yeah. But then when your dad comes home, when he's like, oh, we have no money, I can barely pay for you to go to college. Here's <laughs> a brand new Let's Fall. And uh, oh, yeah. No, that, yeah. that stuff is fine, is justified. When he was like, it's jam session whatever day and she's like no it's like come on it's your last two three weeks with your dad like just hang out with him for a little bit i i will note i think it's an interesting idea that they planted and then never really allowed to grow in this movie that she started writing hearts beat loud after having that lecture about hearts mm -hmm. in her class so clearly there's something about medical science that inspires her and she clearly loves and connects to on an emotional level and then they don't really bring that up again which i thought was a real missed opportunity because also early on when she first meet first meets rose in the art gallery and rose is explaining that project to her um she's like she even says oh it's like combining art and science together and i was like okay like the first time I saw it, I was mm. like, okay, that's where this is going. She's going to write music inspired by what she's learning in science or what she's really connecting to in science. And then it goes away. That's not another thing. Weirdly, I'm so curious as to like what order they shot this film in in particular, because I think that there's, there's some things that are kind of disjointed from the beginning and the end of the film of how that the, the journey between the relationships does it, and the, the journey between some of the themes directorially don't quite add up. Yeah, there, there needed to be another pass on story editing for this before they finished it, I think. They didn't and ask also, us Shady for it. What's that? They didn't ask us to read it, so it's very <laughs> unfortunate. And I also feel like the, the one thing that I noticed that I think was one really good payoff that could have been done more subtly throughout the film is that Frank really has that crisis of faith and he kind of just starts jamming on his own with the loop pedal and starts doing the, um, essentially the hook and the riff that becomes everything must go as like 
he's playing there's other dramatic moments happening in the background he's thinking about things like you can just there's like this real moment where the music is influencing a state of mind mm-hmm. or reflecting a state of mind and i mean the guy who re- composed the score was also the guy who wrote all these all these songs that i was not aware of those same kind of motifs and thematic elements in the music going along of like I feel like these are people, particularly Sam and Frank, who have music in their head all the time. And I feel like I didn't, I feel like I wanted to hear that reflected in the score, not just in these original songs that were presented. Wait, going back real quick to where we think these characters are left off or what's going to happen to them after the movie. Do you think Nick Offerman and Tony Collette ever actually like for these hook up? That's what I I was thinking. I was just like, should they have like ended up together? I kind of like it that they don't. I do too. I, I like mean, that they explored the possibility and then it, I mean, it had an effect on their relationship, but it didn't need to like end their relationship as friends. Let's I'm, be clear. Nick Offerman has the platonic ideal of a dad bod. Yes. <laughs> but her other boy toy was very attractive as well. I understand. I understand her dilemma. I get it because one of them is fleeting and the other one, like, you know, is pretty much eternal. But like, don't you want to go after the one that's fleeting for that moment? For, for I also just reason? had to get my poll I had to get my poll quote in there for the Instagram. <laughs> well, also, like he was her tenant. So that was a little right. This is an ethical uh-uh. yeah. yeah. Uh, this vein how do we feel about rose i hope her and sam at least like get to remain friends on some level i i really liked rose i really did think she was a character who brought out the best in sam i wish we got to know a little bit more of her because she's a little Mm one-dimensional but as far as what she does for sam i think she's a good influence on her so like i i hope that they can maintain some semblance of a relationship this brought up a question this brings up a question for me too about like how these songs exist within the movie versus outside of the movie in the manner of like i remember i remember loving blink one million miles when i saw it in the movie and i put it on a couple playlists and that was like the one of the three big original songs that i just like didn't didn't keep in my rotation i kind of like stopped listening to it and like especially that the, the the bridge where she goes, you know, you told me to be brave, you told me to be brave and I'll remember that. And I was like, oh, you know, like, that, I don't know, that seems a little precious. And like, like just listening to it on the radio, you know, it just felt like right. a little like, okay, I don't I, really. Right, isolated from those characters. But then in the movie, when like, you see her literally just singing that to her and just repeating it like three times. And I mean, the, the, the actress who plays Rose was, was fantastic that like, you just watch that affect her and how it, and like it, it, that, that was a moment where, again, I think the performances of this, I think solidifies this movie and solidifies a lot of the music and how it exists in a storytelling capacity, not just as a, as a song, but in terms of, you know, plot relationship and character in the movie. And I think that's the perfect moment for me where it sounds like a 17 year old who wrote that lyric. Yeah. But it's beautiful cinematically watching it happen right. in front of you. It's good because it's honest and we can say it's honest because we know that character and her relationship that she's singing about. 
if I heard that on the radio and I didn't know anything about the artist, I'd be like, okay, stop. Yeah. Yeah. It seems a little forced, but, but it, but it, that is something interesting too, but comparatively with like, with the songs here. Sorry. I'm laughing at John's face. <laughs> I had, uh, John's laughing at me. No, I'm laughing at myself. Cause I have a <laughs> tangential story. Ready? Yeah. Yeah. I thought Friday was a parody on uh, the pop culture, uh, on pop music at the time, the song Friday. <laughs> uh-huh. I, th- I was like, wow, Rebecca Black is really smart. Like, she's <laughs> making commentary on like how auto tune and everything and like songs these days are like nothing. And then I realized, no, she's, she's being honest with that, with that song. She's she's an actual young girl who she's an actual uh, young girl a grown man gave that song to yes and I was just like oh no what did I do <laughs> like, I thought I legit thought when it first came out it was a parody like a parody on right. pop music right. listen like, what to does it the again fox say? huh what does the fox say I think that's also a real song like now that you're digesting it after years. I think they really wrote a real song and not just a parody. I can say one that actually is legitimately a parody song, but we That's all what? think it's a Gangnam style is legitimately a parody song. Oh yeah. But we don't get that because we don't understand the lyrics. No. Uh, it, and it's a lot of cultural, even if we did, it's cultural references that would go over our heads as Americans. And that song was on Glee, everyone. And so was The Fox and Friday. Oh shit. Oh my God. And Forget You by CeeLo Green, as sung by Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, oh, whose mother is Blythe Danner, who was in the movie Hearts Beat Loud. Back and back to, the, to Hearts Beat Loud. Back to Hearts Beat Loud. <laughs> we did it. Wait, speaking of, I don't know why this made me think of this, but my favorite line in this, in this movie is, it doesn't have to mean anything. I wanted That Way by the Backstreet Boys. Oh my God. When, that they, way. when they started talking about that, I was just like, <laughs> yeah. You're right. It is pointless. Yeah, that song exists to show off the vocal stylings of five hunky dudes in the late 90s and nothing else. Are you sure it's actually them singing though? I I don't know. Hardcore fans will kill me if I say no. So sure, it's really them. Come at us, everyone. I'm more of a dream dream street guy myself. Oh, wow. Dream street. See, I see. I'm taking on the persona of Frank in my my indie <laughs> music culture of early 2000, late 1990s boy. Right, this is this is also like we, John and I, were the target audience for those boy bands at that era. You were still a little young for it. Uh, I'm a fan of Together. Thank you very oh, much. Together was so good, though. D Speed does not know who Together is. Oh. <gasps> John, can we do that for this podcast? Oh, <laughs> we'll talk. But right now, <laughs> let's go into Sharp and Flat because we are landsliding here, baby. I love Fleetwood Mac. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Sharp Flat. So in this section, we're obviously going to talk about moments in this movie or around this movie, I guess. Uh, and if we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it or hated it or thought it could change, it is flat. Who wants to go first? D-Speeds, you're pointing at somebody. Okay, Shady, go! 
Uh, I really liked that they cast uh, Ted Danson as a bartender who used to have a career in a different field. It was very, very Sam Malone a la Cheers. And, and then the other it. sharp addendum to that is that that is his actual playbill from his one night performance only in a Broadway show. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Where he played a bartender and then the show closed after one performance. Wow. Any more sharps from Shady? Oh, um, I mean, I kind of already mentioned why this movie hit me at the particular moment when I saw it. And for that, Everything Must Go is, it's, it's amazingly sharp for me. It's one of my favorite songs from any musical movie ever. Ooh, <laughs> Just, that's a lot. Yeah, I know. I, and it, I and 100% it has, agree. Hundred percent agree. Yeah, it just um it's not even necessarily that I think it's better in any technical way or even any creative way from other songs that you could include in that category. It's just that it really, really captured exactly what I was feeling in a way I didn't think it could be captured. So it's a feeling. Get into it. D speeds, what are your sharps? <laughs> Similarly, I think the three songs that are really focused in this movie are great I think they're really good songs I think they got a great cast it's funny my sharps and my flats kind of go hand in hand where I love a lot of the themes that were starting to be established generational divide ideas of transition family dynamics living up to what your family wants from you or what you want from you and then really going into flat is a lack of development on those themes. I think that they tried to touch on a lot of really beautiful things with a really great cast that pulled off a somewhat, a script that somewhat missed the mark. For my sharps, I wrote down seeing the songwriting process of Hearts Beat Loud and the mm. actual song. I love the concert that they have or whatever we're going to classify it as. The, the and the hurrah the last day at the record store. Yeah. Um, and I also really loved how unapologetic this movie is. We're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sam doesn't have to have a coming out moment. Uh, they don't rely too heavy on the backstory of the mother. <laughs> I swear I didn't pick up on like <laughs> why she didn't ride a bicycle versus like why the how the mother died. Did not pick up on that until you talked about it, Shady. Uh, but like this movie, there was a lot of things that this movie did that like other films, I feel like would have spent mom- longer moments talking about it. Right. Like, it it yeah. didn't overdo it on the exposition at all. Right. It never. It, it could have slipped into melodrama pretty easily. Yeah. Because like uh, other movies would have to identify what Sam's sexual preference is, and this one like. Nick Offerman just has a line of like, do you have a new boyfriend? Girlfriend? What's their name? No, it, no, 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 no. Let's be yeah, clear. He rever- do you yeah. have a new, do you have a girlfriend? Girlfriend. Right. Well, you, then, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't, he does. Right. No, but I like that order. What... That order matters to me. Yeah. I think that's very interesting how he. Because that means that he would expect a girlfriend first, which implies that she's already out to her father and it's not a big deal. Yeah. Right. And like, even though uh, Nick Offerman and Tony Collette have like a will they, won't they moment. It's mm-hmm. still great to see like two adults who I are of the heterosexual persuasion uh just being <laughs> friends yeah. yeah 
Like there, they there is a little sexual tension going on, and they do like kind of act on it, but it's not it's not like the thing of the movie because. Right. You know, Shady, what are your flats? Wait, no, I have two more sharps. Oh, okay. Two more sharps, T speeds, okay. Really quick. One, Mitski. Oh, Mitski. Yeah, that's a sharp. Mitski, absolute <laughs> sharp. Two, in contrast to what I said earlier, the development of actually how they both kind of, both Frank and Sam hold their chorus of kind of like their viewpoints on life and, you know, how music fits in it. It all seems to almost change during that gig and once the song everything must go is played again that is where the where this becomes somewhat of a musical where there's plot advancement where those three songs back to back show such crazy character development and relation relationship between how they interact while they're playing those songs that those that that 15 minute span i think is what keeps this movie together and and puts it all in a nice little bow I don't think it's even 15 minutes. I think it like just clears 10, if that. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, and, and it is interesting that Everything Must Go literally is about the store, but figuratively it is about Frank letting Sam go. It's about losing the store, and as he says, and other things as he looks at Sam. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my other, sh- that was actually what I was going to talk about when we talked about Soundtrack of Your Life. I was going to talk about Everything Must Go, but the other sharp is the fact that they get a gig at Mercury East. <laughs> and he just smiles and closes the email. Yeah. Um, and it's, no, but it's like, but it's, he goes, I, I wanted to know that we could do it. Yeah, yeah. He, he just, he just wanted that email. They don't need to derail her whole college career for it. No, no, they don't. I, I mean, don't, she's going to be a doctor. Go be a doctor. Go be a doctor. We need doctors. Uh, <laughs> flats? Anyone? Flats? Um, okay, so I already talked a lot about issues with the script. Um, I do think there was some story editing that really need, like some things just needed to be reordered or certain scenes could have been like, you know, there were three scenes that could have been condensed into one scene pretty easily. So I, I do think like, for example, after the Everything Must Go gig, it kind of goes on a little too long after that. I think that could have been really tightened mm-hmm. up a lot more. Um, and there are just certain things like throughout the movie where I'm like, well, that could have been tightened up. Jumping off of that, by tightening other things up, you could have also included Blythe Danner in a lot more. I think they yeah. really wasted her because she is phenomenal. Yes. And she feels very much like, like her character feels very much like an afterthought. Like, Oh, well, yeah. we want to, we want to strengthen, because like you said, the themes of the generations and everything, but she kind of feels a little shoehorned in there just to like express that. And then also be like, and quirky grandma who steals stuff and we got to bail her out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause the movie is only an hour and 37 minutes long. Like, right. It was a pretty fast movie, but yeah, there are some things that it's like, you could have allocated some time to like these other characters. Like, yeah. Cause it's funny too, because we only, I was thinking about it, like, really, like, we only watch extended scenes with five characters. Mm-hmm. Six? Six. But, like, beyond that, we have six people that we're following. And, like, you know, yeah. there's not, like, like where I feel like, you know, just going back to us talking about Sing Street is, we, you know, we talked about Eamon. We talked about, you know, even the bully or, like. We talked about Eamon's mom. We talked, we talked about, about Eamon's mom, mom and her vibrator. <laughs> yeah. 
Like there's yeah. all these other moments where like when you only have six people to focus on and we have these questions about, you know, what was bystander's role? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I wonder like how did Ted, like what's the relationship between Ted Danson and Nick Offerman really? Didn't need that. I did not need that. See, I didn't need it either, but my problem is Ted Danson and Blythe Danner both being used the way they're used in this movie. They feel a little redundant because they're both just sort of on the outside of the main action um, and then come in to give Frank some sage advice or a different point of view. So -hmm. they're used very much the same way. I think you could have utilized Blythe Danner in a different way and really expanded on her relationship and the dynamic with Sam. I was going to say, or have her give Sam the right. stage advice. Right, yeah. Like, you could have really changed that up, um, and then she wouldn't have felt so tangential. It makes sense to me that Sonny is that tangential character who's just buddies with Frank and sort of knows everybody else. My flat to to uh, Shady's point is um, some of these things needing to be tightened up or playing the same scene twice is uh, I didn't need five different montages of Nick Offerman walking down Red Hook streets mm. smoking a cigarette yeah <laughs> so many of those. yeah there uh, yeah i kind of feel like the movie was a little heavy like, like it wants this balance between frank and sam and it feels a little more frank heavy and it could have been more balanced just by eliminating some of that stuff mm-hmm. agreed I, and i think like maybe the idea there was to show like how ingratiated he is with that particular environment but it just didn't really work that way like, I think that was the idea behind it. And I just don't think it really panned out that way. I think it's just sort of like, we get it. He's old Brooklyn guy who loves vinyl records and smokes. I get it. And then my final flat is the Jeff Tweedy cameo, which is awkward <laughs> and weird <laughs> and really sticks out. And people who don't know Jeff Tweedy are not going to get it at all. There is no context for them whatsoever. And he's not like a particularly distinct looking man. That's me. That was me. I was like, Ooh, you're obviously somebody in the music industry. No, I, I had to look it up because I know Wilco. I know who Jeff Tweedy is by name. I don't know his face. So the first <laughs> time I saw this movie, I had to look it up. Well, that's funny. Cause the movie starts with him watching, you know, watching a video of, of Jeff Tweedy. That's true. That's true. He's watching that YouTube video. Yeah, there's only one Tweety song in this movie, which is weird because you would think if he has a cameo, you'd put like maybe seven of his songs in it or something. Right. I'm wondering if like maybe just like writer director uh, Brett Haley, if he's mm-hmm. like personal friends with Jeff Tweety and it was like kind of like a favor or something. Jeff Tweety's it... like, I I can give you five minutes and that's all you got. <laughs> right. And like nothing really comes of it. It's it's not like that changes his mind to like save the store because, oh, the guy from Wilco came in and bought a record. So it, that was just a weird, awkward moment for me that like really killed a lot of tension and momentum that they'd been building up. I wrote down his flats. Frank's childish behavior for the most part. And I wrote it this way and I'm very sorry that I wrote it this way, but Sam's bitchiness. Cause like she goes from zero to 10 to like 7,000 real fast. <laughs> Consider if you were 18 and that guy was your only parent, wouldn't you be a little irascible? But like, <laughs> like that, the, their first conversation together, she goes, she just goes and you're like, whoa. <laughs> no, she, she's like, she's me levels of moody. 
so I totally get it. <laughs> I didn't identify with her, so I can't. I can't. No, no, no. No, I agree. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm just making a joke about myself because I can also <laughs> get very bitchy very quickly. Well, I mean, everyone can. It's just right. that their first interaction, again, it's very much like Lady Bird, where you're like, it goes from zero to 70. Right. In but I didn't seconds. get that feeling of the history. And, you know, you're kind of what's what we were saying earlier in particular, about what you were saying about Lady Bird of like, you saw it go from zero to 100 really quickly but you got the feeling that was how their relationship always was right. where this seemed. Yeah. I just odd. was like, why are it you laughing? Just say, Hey, can I please finish my homework? I'll be with you in an hour. Yeah. Or, yeah. and and then he, uh, on the flip side, he's being a child where he's like, it's time to jam. And it was and literally like two minutes of him, like coming up with improvising different ways to like, sing the word let's jam like he's making fun of her for doing her homework for a summer class and it's like you would i i hope you would understand that this is important to her right. as much as the jam session is important to you so right right they 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 were um and neither... i guess we got the point clearly but right just, right yeah. right but, but like it's it's, it's also peppered throughout the whole movie and i'm right. just like it's laid on too thick in that scene. We we didn't need it to be that extreme. Yeah. Right. And then even before he announces like how popular they are on Spotify, she's zero to 7,000 again, which is like, why do you want me to go to Spotify? What's going on? I'm busy. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's a very everyone's the asshole situation. Don't get me started on the she gets home at 2 a.m. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that was like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> oh boy what songs would you add to your life's playlist i think we're all in agreement that it's like everything must go everything must go yeah i wrote down also, your best american girl <laughs> i wrote down blink and hearts beat loud because like yeah. all the all the original songs like where they were banger yeah um, they, re- they were um yeah I actually bought the soundtrack, so not mad about it. Um, when <laughs> I was working at Stage Door, when I saw this, uh, the summer camp, and I was uh, in charge of the movie making class, and I had to make the DVD for the movies that the kids made, um, and I chose "Hearts Beat Loud" as the DVD menu music because because nice. that was that was my and I had the poster for this movie on uh, the door of the editing room. Because that was the the best way I could try to spread my love for this movie, and like connect with the kids. Yeah. Oh, just like they, yeah. many of them were in their own time. transition period, going from seventeen to college, yeah. doing what they love with music, but maybe moving on to other things. Wow, very, very, very. It's a in the field. Sorry, I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> no. And on that note, we're done with the episode. Aww. We did it! We did Aww. it. We did it. Who wants to go first with plugs and promotions? Um. Uh, hey, I'm gonna promote a podcast called Movie Deja Vu. What is that? That's a podcast. Never that, heard of it. That's that's weird because you're the creator of it Shh. <laughs> and the producer. I don't know what you're talking about. And, and the, the co-host. Co- 
and you write most of like the actual work for so that is the podcast that john and i co-host hi <laughs> where we compare movies that have usually similar plots but sometimes we'll go a little more they play with similar themes or they use similar styles but usually it's movies with largely the same plot and we talk about them for usually three hours and then try to cut that down to only one hour and sometimes it succeeds but we have a lot of fun doing it yeah we're currently in a in another series we're doing the fear street movies that just came out on netflix the first we we just tackled 1994 we compared it to scream but we also used other 90s horror movies as also did you compare it to goosebumps the movie with jack black we did not (laughs) we missed that one out oh come on we we were focused on the time period i wasn't even like oh right there's an rl stein movie goosebumps there's a few (laughs) of them actually yeah because there's yeah yeah okay d speeds what do you have to plug and promote I who knows. Ideally, the 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 podcast that I've been working on will be out. If you're listening to this in the future, back catalog. Uh, it's called Dinner and a Movie. Uh, I uh, me and a guest will go on a uh, a date together um, <gasps> with based on a movie that they're of their choice. We will uh, build a menu that would be the absolute perfect pairing to that movie. D speeds. I want to be on. And yeah. I think I want to do Human Centipede. <laughs> I kid, I kid. We'll, we'll do. No, we'll, he we'll wants do to do all... Titus. Is, is the dessert going to be chocolate mousse? Oh no, it's going to be all ass related stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, no, I kid. I know a few movies you could do that kind of menu based off of. Um, mm-hmm. All ass stuff. Nom 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 nom. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then if you guys want to reach out and talk about Hearts Be Loud or like, you know, how much you love D-Speeds and Shady, you can email me at buttasongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at buttasongpod. And if you want to be part of next episode's discussion, wait, what are we doing? Oh yeah, we're doing Anastasia. That's right. Anastasia? Anastasia Beverly Hills. Yes. <laughs> no, Anastasia. Anastasia oh, Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah, Anastasia, the 20th Century Fox now Disney movie. Yeah. No. What? Yeah. Dreamworks. Dreamworks? Disney? No, Disney no. owns it now. Oh. She's now a Disney princess. Everyone, <gasps> we did it. Was, it. it was journey into the past, into the unknown. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> Uh, bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to Castbox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.